Today we continue our study on the bottom half of the Ten Commandments. So please turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20, which is found on page 54 of the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield. Uh, Last time, we noticed two things about the Ten Commandments. First, we noticed that the Ten Commandments are set in a relational context. And second, we noticed that the Ten Commandments, these relational commands, can be split into two sections, uh, where the first four commands apply to my relationship with God, and the rest of those commands uh, correspond to my relationships with people. The first part of the commands are vertical in their focus, and the second part of the commands are horizontal in focus. Well, today we continue addressing the horizontal commands under the series title, The Roadmap for Relationships. We're on the sixth commandment uh, found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. The sixth commandment is not complicated. It is four words long in our English Bibles. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. The sixth commandment is, you shall not take a life. And there's no ambiguity in this command. God says loudly and clearly, God says, I am the only one who has the power to give human life. And I am the only one who has the power rightfully to take away a human life. And some of you are saying, do not murder. Hmm. Uh, Seems pretty straightforward. There's a good chance this is going to be a short sermon. You haven't been around here very long if you're thinking that. Um, The truth is that uh, even though the uh, sixth commandment is simple, it is not Simplistic. The Sixth Commandment is about much more than not killing people, although that's a really good place to start. Uh, The Sixth Commandment means definitely no killing people. Uh, But we will see that the Bible teaches us that the Sixth Command has implications that are much wider than just having us refrain from bloodshed. But literal bloodshed is a good place for us to start. In the sixth command, God is prohibiting me from taking human life, which is a command against murder or being an accomplice to murder, which is taking another person's life, suicide, which is taking my own life, abortion, which is taking the life of an unborn person, and euthanasia, which is taking the life of a disabled person uh, who is uh, or may feel like they are no longer of use to society. Uh, These are the literal implications of the sixth commandment. But the Bible also teaches us to apply this command in a few less literal ways. For instance, uh, the Old Testament uh, is God's word exp- has God's word explaining that the sixth commandment is not just a literal anti-murder commandment. It is also a an anti-violence command. God inspired Moses to write the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments appear for the first time in 
Exodus chapter 20. Uh, And then the three books that follow Exodus are largely pages and pages on the implications of each of the Ten Commandments. And these implications in the Bible are just as inspired by God as the Ten Commandments themselves. And they contain eternal principles that are meant to guide God's people today. But even if you don't know the pages upon pages of implications in the Old Testament of the Ten Commandments, even if you don't know all the Mosaic law uh, regarding the Sixth Commandment, some things are obvious if you know God. And if you know God, if you know God, you know that God does not condone extreme violence. Um, I don't know where I got this uh, story, but one day a young boy... uh, found a mouse in the garage, and he spent most of the afternoon trying to capture and kill uh, this mouse. Uh, when he had done the deed, uh, he walked into, uh, from the garage into the house, triumphantly uh, speaking of his deed and holding his prey and saying, Daddy, I caught that dirty old mouse, and when I caught him, I whacked him, and I whacked him, and I whacked him again, and then I threw him against the wall, and I threw him against the wall again. And then the little boy turned the corner into the living room and there saw that his father was sitting there with the pastor. And uh, seeing the pastor, uh, the little boy suddenly became quiet and said, and then daddy... That little mouse went to be home to be with the Lord. (laughs) And uh, uh, you see, you know, this is an example of how this, uh, you know, this boy changed his tune a little bit when he saw the pastor. Because instinctively, we all know that God does not condone an attitude of taking pleasure in whacking and whacking. And if you explore the pages and pages of God's expansion on the Sixth Commandment, you will hear God saying, My Sixth Commandment is much more than my demand that you not kill each other. I don't want you hitting each other or punching each other or slapping each other. I don't want you settling your differences with any form of interpersonal violence. And I don't want you to encourage violence or take pleasure in acts of violence. And with this implication, God is weighing in on one of the more controversial issues in today's society. In the Sixth Commandment, God is weighing in on the hot issue of violence as entertainment in our culture. Let's start with reality violence as entertainment. Uh, You don't need to be a TV expert uh, to know that within the last 10 years or so, uh, the floodgates have opened uh, in terms of programming that features real violence on television. Uh, There are more and more shows that boast that their violence is not acting. It is real violence, including real pain and real blood. 
And there are more and more, let's say, cage events uh, that glamorize extreme violence between the combatants. Uh, there are more and more reality TV shows that advertise teasers of how these reality characters are, are going to get into real cat fights and real uh, punching, slapping, scratching matches. And more and more we see reality documentaries with teasers that promise to show real people who are getting killed in real accidents and real life tragedies. And I hope you can see how all of this programming is in its very core made up to get us to say, oh, I can't wait to see how this guy gets killed. I can't wait to see how this killer kick uh, goes, goes against that head in uh, the cage. I can't wait to see those reality TV characters swear at each other and start the fight. I'm not going to belabor this because either you get it or you don't get it. But if you get it, you understand that God does not want his people developing a taste for real violence as entertainment. Those who develop an appetite for this reality violence are being shaped into people who take pleasure in human pain and human death. And this is the opposite of God's dream for you and me. This is the opposite of the person that God is shaping me to be and you to be. And then there's the whole category of pretend violence. Uh, listen, I'm all for a good movie. I, I just saw the Avengers and I love the, uh, you know, Iron Man and his crew, you know, saving Manhattan one more time uh, from the aliens. I love the explosions and crumbling skyscrapers. But let me just say that, you know, there is a place for violence that is part of a story and, and storytelling. Keep in mind uh, that the Bible contains violence and uh, war stories and much more. Uh, so I'm not saying that Christians, you know, should only be, you know, watching choirs and organ recitals. Uh, but at the same time, folks, um, we can't be naive. Uh, there are movies where violence is not part of the story. It is the story. You know, there's a whole movie category known as slasher films, uh, where people are, the whole point of the movie is for uh, people to show people in various uh, real looking situations where people are tortured and stabbed and strangled and mutilated and it's made to look as realistic as possible. You know, there's a video game category called Blood and Guts Games. Uh, these are games designed to have minimum plot and maximum gore, uh, where the action uh, depicts human beings uh, being hacked up with saws and axes and where people are shot up and blown up and decapitated and disemboweled. Uh, and in the movies, you know, you're watching uh, someone uh, else play the killer. In these blood and guts video games, uh, you're invited to become the killer who shoots and stabs and murders people. 
And I know that there is a debate. I know that there is a debate about how much children are harmed by these violent video games uh, that invite them to take the role of murderers and assassins. I know that there is a debate about how much adults are harmed by watching violent media that is made to, as, to look as much like real killing as possible. I know that there is a debate in secular society on this topic. But I want you to know that there is no debate in heaven. God looks at this and says, this is sick. This is sick and twisted that you find entertainment in real human beings, human beings of a fictional character, people made in my image, being sliced and diced like so much meat. Parents, listen to me. Um, If your children are watching this stuff and anticipating the gore and mutilation with words like, oh, here comes the good part. If your children smile and laugh and giggle at violent images that they should be revolted by, your children are on their way to losing something very precious. And parents, there is a time where we need to love our kids enough to exercise some leadership, sometimes leadership that's not popular in our popular culture. Sometimes we need to say, son, daughter, you may not like this now, but I love you too much to pretend like I don't care. Other parents can allow their kids to be influenced by this, but this blood and guts gore stuff is not for us. Trust me as I trust God in this. Parents, I'm not telling you how to lead your kids, but I am telling you that it is your God-given responsibility to lead your kids. And based on the Sixth Commandment, This is one area screaming for your leadership when it comes to reality and fantasy violence. But this is not just an issue for young eyes. It is important to God that you not allow media to train you to think of human life as cheap. And that interpersonal violence is acceptable. So one non-literal application of the Sixth Commandment is found in the Old Testament where God says, you shall not murder. And by that, I also mean you will not take part in interpersonal violence. Another non-literal application of the Sixth Commandment is found in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus gets to the heart of the Sixth Commandment when he says, you have heard it. That it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, just like anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
So Jesus is God in the flesh, which means that I don't need to take wild guesses about what God means by the sixth commandment. I don't need to take wild guesses because God came to earth and he explains what he means. And Jesus explains that when it comes to the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, God has in mind from the very beginning that this command is about a lot more than just physical murder. Because there is more than one way to take another person's life. And if Jesus were to stand here and speak where I am speaking right now, I am convinced that Jesus would say, People of Black Rock, there are murderers among us. And one of those murderers may be you. Jesus says that you are one of those murderers if you hold on to anger in your heart. Jesus expounds on the Sixth Commandment, saying that before murder becomes an act of the hands and the will, it is first hatred in the heart. And Jesus says, once there is hatred in the heart, you don't need your hands to murder. The words of your mouth can become weapons that take away life. What do we mean by words becoming weapons? Well, let's, let's think about this. Let's, let's discuss uh, three types of lethal language that takes life. The first lethal category is words of anger. Uh, Jesus takes the word raka, for example. Raka is an Aramaic word of abuse uh, that is calling a person worthless or good for nothing. And Jesus says that even in a human court, like the Sanhedrin, even a human court recognizes that words can be weapons that do so much damage that they need to be punished by law. But Jesus takes this a step further, and he says that uh, just like Raka uh, deserves human punishment on a human level, there is a higher court. There's an eternal court that judges angry words because Angry words do eternal damage on eternal souls. And in that eternal court, insults like, you fool, are punished under eternal laws of an eternal hell. In all this, Jesus is emphasizing how angry words do serious damage on an eternal level. Because words go beyond the temporal body to the eternal soul and do real damage. Angry words take life by killing people in unseen ways in unseen places. And Jesus says that some of us are killing people with our words. Very likely you are one of those murderers and very likely you're one of those victims. I speak with people who can still remember the painful things that their parents said to them when they were growing up 40 or 50 years ago. They hang their heads low and they say, my father said I was worthless, that I would never amount to anything. My mother said that there was something wrong with me, that I was ugly, I was stupid. And when you hear these people 
And what was said long ago, you can see that the pain is still fresh. You can see the wreckage of angry words. You sense that the moment that those parents said those words, that somewhere inside, their child just died. And it's not just parents that take away the life of their children. Children do the same thing to their parents. Husbands do it to wives. Wives do it to husbands. And in the sixth commandment, God is saying, this all just needs to stop among my people. God says, I command you to never take another person's life by your angry words. But there's a second category of lethal language, words of gossip. Uh, As part of my job, I get a chance to uh, interact with pastors from all over our region. And I remember being at a function uh, where I saw a pastor who just looked dead on his feet. And when I checked in with him, uh, he related how some people in his church had started making accusations and spreading negative gossip about him. And these accusations were all based on on falsities and fictions that could have been cleared up if someone, just someone, came directly to him. But instead, they just talked about their pastor and stabbed him in the back over and over and over again. And this pastor, who gladly would have given his life for his congregation, instead was having the congregation just suck the life out of him. And I just know that Jesus points to those guilty in that church and says, You murderers! Who do you think you are to take life out of a man who I have called to serve my body? Who do you think you are to suck the life out of somebody by your careless words? And I'm sorry to say that this kind of gossip goes on in many churches and destroys them. That's why here at Black Rock, we covenant with each other that we will not gossip. Because gossip is murder. And it will kill us as a church. And that is why we will not allow it. Addressing a church being killed by gossip. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. If you find that you enjoy getting together with your friends in order to talk negatively about other friends and other people, uh, you know, you just need to uh, take a look at your heart. Uh, And as you do, as you take a, a good look at your heart, Uh, If you're honest, what you'll find is that uh, every word of gossip is motivated by hatred. And you may say, well, I gossip, but I don't hate anybody. Don't fool yourself. Gossip is designed to hurt the person you're talking about. Gossip is designed to cut that person down. Gossip is designed to destroy that person's reputation. Gossip is character assassination. It's murder. It's a type of murder. And the Bible says, don't fool yourself. The reason you want to hurt and cut down and destroy and assassinate another person is because at some level you hate that person. 
And the biblical definition of hate, keep that in mind, it's much more than a feeling. It's a desire. It's a desire that the person would be humiliated, hurt, put down a peg, and removed from your world. And the Bible calls it hate. And we say, well, I just don't care for so-and-so, or uh, I just can't stand so-and-so. You know, it's better for us to just be honest and agree with God and call it hatred and repent from it. Hatred is a serious sin. And the Apostle John summarizes Jesus' teaching when he writes in 1 John chapter 3, Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Gossip is using your tongue as a weapon of death. But there is one more category of lethal language. Words of neglect. You know, I think it's really interesting that uh, Jesus expounds on verbal murder by referring to raka, which is basically a term of dismissal. Uh, Saying raka to a person is like saying that the person is so insignificant that the person isn't even worth an insult. And this gets to the worst kind, I think, of lethal language. The most lethal language is not necessarily what we say, it's what we don't say. The most lethal language is the unspoken vocabulary of neglect. A group of grade school children uh, are playing in the snow and they're waiting for their school bus to come. They're all laughing and talking together except for one child named Roger. Roger stands by himself on the edge of the group and stares down at the ground, totally ignored by the other children. And when the bus arrives, the other children uh, rush by Roger as if he's invisible. They all happily take their seats together on the bus. Roger is the last one to come on board. He slowly mounts the stairs. He looks expectantly into the faces of his peers, but none of them invite him to a seat. And so with a sigh, Roger sits alone behind the bus driver. They travel only a few minutes when... uh, Roger suddenly drops his books on the floor and staggers to his feet. And the bus driver, seeing Roger's ashen face and look of panic, uh, stops and opens the bus door. And Roger stumbles down the stairs, stops, and then falls face first into the snow, dead. And this is the opening scene of an educational film designed for teachers called Cipher in the Snow. The film is a true story of a boy and the investigation into his mysterious death. Roger's medical records indicate that he had no physical problems. His autopsy uh, revealed that there was no physical reason for his death. But investigation into his life revealed that he had been rejected and ignored by every significant person in his life, a rejection that began at home. And Roger was a cipher, a zero. He was treated like a zero. And Roger proves that being treated like a zero can break your heart. Ultimately, because he received no care, no touch, no love from his family or anyone else in his life. The medical records show that Roger died of emotional neglect. And maybe right now, God is bringing to mind someone in your life who is dying 
for a word of affirmation from you. Maybe right now, God is bringing to your mind a Roger in your life. Maybe your Roger is someone who has been the brunt of your angry words or your gossip or your neglect in the past. Well, it's not too late to give life to the Roger around you. Just like your words can suck life out of the people around you, your words have the power to give life to the people around you. You have the power to breathe life into your children with simple words of affirmation. You have the power to breathe life into your spouse with thoughtful words of encouragement and appreciation. You have the power to give to your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your co-workers, your neighbors. You have the power to give life with well-chosen words of love. You have the power to restore life to those you have hurt in the past. Just by saying you're sorry, just by uttering words of sincere kindness, you can bring life where you once brought death. Today, God points to the sixth commandment and he says, there are murderers among us. And he has in mind me. And he has in mind you. But this is why I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven by His sacrifice. I need to be filled with His Holy Spirit. With His Spirit in me. Jesus empowers me to live and speak such that I never take a life. But I give life to those around me. This is the good life that God wants for me. This is the good life I find when I follow the roadmap for relationships. Would you please stand now as we close? I'd like to just give you a moment to think about uh, what this means for you, what it means for your relationships. And maybe just now make a, uh, a plan with God's help, with God's inspiring you right now. What's your plan? Who is the person? Who are the people? And what do you need to say? Could you just ask God to fill your mind with that right now as we close in prayer? Oh, God, we hear that it is a serious thing in your eyes to take life. Would you help us to be those who never take life, but give life to those around us through words and actions and attitudes that are life-giving. And in that process, Lord, would you lead us to that good life that you describe here in the pages of your word, even in the roadmap for relationships. Amen.